Hi, this is attorney Jamie Miller from the Miller Law Chronicles, welcoming you to another awesome podcast. Today, we're going to talk about student loans, but in particular, I want to welcome you to the Miller Law Chronicles, where we simplify the legal maze by giving you clarity and confidence as you go through the legal process. And the goal of this podcast is to give you as much information so that you can make the best financial decisions for you and your family. Today, we're going to talk about student loans and we're going to have our special guest and student loan lawyer, Deborah Stencil. In particular, Attorney Stencil is going to speak to the huge change that came down from the Department of Justice in November of 2022 and made it a little bit easier to get rid of student loans in bankruptcy. If you remember, discharging student loans prior to November 22, you almost had to show a certainty of hopelessness, which made it really a challenge to get rid of those pesky student loans. In November of 2022, the Department of Justice came down with guidance on a more streamlined approach on being able to get rid of student loans through the bankruptcy process. It's a little bit complicated. Attorney Stencil is going to explain it to you in a clear and concise manner to help you understand what the process looks like and hopefully give you some insight into whether or not you qualify to discharge your student loans under this new process. Now, you can go to our website at millermillerlaw.com and at the top, you're gonna to see a red banner that's going to offer a sheet that you can fill out that'll give us information about your specific situation. And you'll fill that out. It goes directly to Attorney Stencil. She'll get back to you and give you some insight on whether your particular student loans can be discharged. I appreciate you so much listening to these podcasts. We're just kind of gaining some momentum with it. If you're watching on YouTube, please subscribe. If you're on Google Podcasts or Spotify or Apple Podcasts, you know, please follow us. Appreciate it very much. Thank you so much for listening. And I'm really excited to, for you to listen to Attorney Stencil today. Thank you. Hi, this is Attorney Jamie Miller, and I'd like to welcome you to another Miller Law Chronicles podcast. And today we have a really special guest in Deborah Stencil, student loan lawyer that works with me here in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Today we're going to talk about student loans, what's going on today in the student loan world, the legal student loan world, and everything surrounding how we can help our clients with student loans. Welcome, Deborah, and how was your day? Oh, it's going great so far. Nice weather. Good time. <laughs> it is a nice weather. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about yourself, who you are, where you came from. I love your story. <laughs> well, I was born in Wisconsin to Wisconsin parents. Eventually, we moved to North Carolina when I was about 10. So I went through school in North Carolina and I got my bachelor's degree from North Carolina State, go Wolfpack, and uh, my law degree from the University of North Carolina. Eventually, I made my way back up to Milwaukee. I wanted to be here for my grandparents and my dad, and that's worked out pretty great. So, I love that. So how long have you been back in Wisconsin? 13 years. 
Okay. 13 years. And you and I have been working together for how long now? Eight. Eight. Amazing. I, I remember um, you, I am several years older than you and our paths crossed many times before we had the opportunity to work together. And I often tell the story about how I've always been impressed with what you do and your work ethic and the quality of your work. And I always wanted to work together. And I remember, you know, way back eight, nine years ago, where I essentially begged you to come join me in the practice. And I was so happy that you said yes. And it's been a great eight years. And I think what the remarkable thing is, you've been on this journey with me and your job description has changed many times from, you know, a bankruptcy lawyer to doing chapter 13s to, I mean, you kind of are our ethics guru that makes sure that we, you know, always are doing things right from an ethical standpoint. You write our contracts. So, you know, I appreciate all that you do. And a few months ago, back in November, there were some changes in the student loan laws, which created some opportunities for our clients in the student loan world. And again, I asked you to pivot and to become our local student loan expert. And like everything you do, you said yes, and you dove in. And so tell me a little bit about what's going on with student loans today and where we were prior to November of 2022 that kind of makes these changes so exciting. Well, it is an incredibly exciting time in student loans because for years and years and years, there was this sort of sense of, well, nothing will help, so you just have to deal with it or suffer from them. And right now there are some changes in different payment plans. There are opportunities for folks to qualify for forgiveness outside of bankruptcy. There are enhanced abilities, opportunities for folks to qualify for forgiveness with bankruptcy. We are waiting for the Supreme Court to decide whether we can all get the Biden ten or $20,000 reduction. And those are all separate things, which a lot of people are confusing. And I'm afraid, I'm very afraid because a few opportunities end at the end of this year that a lot of people are going to miss the boat. And so um, what are those opportunities? Well, <clears throat> so the Income Driven Repayment Program and public service loan forgiveness, which promise people who never made a lot of money or who worked in public service an opportunity to faithfully pay on their loans for periods of 10, 20, or 25 years, depending on their circumstances, who still had a balance at the end to have that balance forgiven. Unfortunately, in the past, approvals and navigating through those programs was made so difficult that very few people got what they were promised. So the Department of Education has recognized that and they are offering a one-time forgiveness reset this year. It ends in December. There were previous deadlines. So if you are Googling it, you might see a May 1 or a May 31 deadline. Those have been extended to December 31. And the one-time cool part about it is if you get on the program this year, they will give you credit for every month in forgiveness or deferral or forbearance or repayment, even if your payment wasn't 
on time or complete towards the 20 or 25 year total that you're supposed to have. And so for some people, they're very close to the end and they would not have had that opportunity otherwise. But if you don't know about it, you're out of luck. Right. And is that something that the student loan servicers are reaching out to borrowers and telling them? So, I mean, other than contacting our no. firm or contacting you, how do people know about this? Um, that's a really good question, Jamie. No, student loan servicers are not reaching out. They have historically been not great about letting people know about the best solution to their problems. I believe I've heard it described as they have an obligation to let folks know that there are programs, but they don't have an obligation to tell the borrower what's best for them. So, for instance, when people apply for income-driven repayment, there's an option to pick one of the major programs or to let the department or the servicer pick for them. And if you let the servicer pick for you, they won't pick the one that may be best for you. You have to do the research or get help to find out what works best for you. Yeah, it's kind of scary. I mean, not knowing what your rights are and presuming that the servicers are going to do right by you doesn't sound like the best way to go, right? I mean, it's a, unless you know what you're doing, unless you understand the process and the system, it sounds like it's a huge potential roadblock um, for people to take it, advantage of these income-based repayment programs. I agree. I personally reached out to my law school buddies. We graduated in 2001. When we graduated, there were 30-year repayment programs. They would stretch your big fat loans out. So I knew that a lot of them were still in repayment and none of them knew this was an option. Hmm. None of them. Well, I want to come back, perhaps come back to the conversation of the IBR income-based repayments in, in a little bit, but I want to kind of give some context into kind of what the history of student loans and what the history of bankruptcy and impact on student loans. And, you know, dating back to when I started practicing law in like 1991, if I remember student loans, if you came to our office and you wanted to file bankruptcy or file bankruptcy with anyone, student loans could be discharged in bankruptcy if they were in repayment for more than seven years or eight years, and you made an effort, some sort of effort to repay those loans. So they were kind of treated like any other unsecured debt uh, in that you could discharge the student loans. And I think that changed in you know, 1996 or 1997. And shortly right. after that, there was, you know, a change in the bankruptcy code in 2005. And that's when came, you know, something called the Brunner test. And the Brunner test kind of has ruled um, the bankruptcy world for a long time, which essentially said that if you have student loans and if you've made an effort to pay back the student loans, but your current circumstance shows you can't pay them back and there's an unlikely ability to pay your student loans back in the future and you almost needed some sort of permanent disability um, to get rid of those student loans, 
you know, the bankruptcy world wasn't really able to address the dischargeability of the student loans. And the Brunner law is the law of the land up to November of 2022. Now, I understand that like Brunner, the law surrounding student loans wasn't changed. So it's not all of a sudden that the bankruptcy courts have a new Supreme Court decision to rely on that says, oh, congratulations, your student loans are now dischargeable. But what happened was the Department of Justice came out with a governance that says under certain circumstances, we're going to allow you to discharge student loans if you meet certain criteria. It's hard enough for us seasoned bankruptcy lawyers to understand what that process is. But can you kind of explain what you know, kind of the intent behind this Department of Justice finding and also how it works, what someone needs to do to qualify for that and what that process looks like. Sure. So I think the first thing to realize is that the bankruptcy code says that student loans are accepted from the general discharge of debts, but there's a little back door says, okay, in these rare circumstances where the student loans are an undue hardship, you can request to have your student loans discharged in the bankruptcy, but you have to ask. And the procedure for asking is to file a lawsuit against your student loan holder. And that was expensive. Lawsuits cost lots of money. Bankruptcy costs money, but it's relatively inexpensive and easy because it's you know, a very well-regulated procedure. But lawsuits take years and cost, you know, $10,000, $15,000 on a bad day. And the Department of Education has recognized, at least under the current administration, that there were some unfairnesses in our student loan system. Folks didn't know what they were signing up for. They didn't realize that those periods of forbearance and deferral that they had to take because they couldn't afford their loans were costing them buckets of money. Because when you're generally, when you're in a forbearance period, the interest is accruing. Or if you are on an income-based payment and that payment isn't covering the monthly interest, your loan is growing and growing and growing. So... And if they don't give you the forgiveness at the end, well, you just paid for 20 years and you're further in the hole than you were when you started. So there's a recognition that there have been some problems with the system that, and a recognition that there's not a lot of political will to help student loan borrowers. The If you think about the reaction people had when Biden offered to forgive $10,000 and People said, that's not fair. Why should they get money? So changing the law wasn't, isn't really an option at the moment. But the Department of Education and their lawyers, the Department of Justice, said, you know what? There is something we can do here. We can streamline the lawsuit process. We will set out guidelines that say, these are the kinds of things that we think would qualify you for dischargeability. And... It's a beautiful 16-page document that sets it out step by step by step. And this accomplishes two things. It gives you some sense of certainty that your lawsuit might work inside your bankruptcy to get rid of your student loans, and it reduces the cost significantly. 
And it also reduces the time because it's not going to take two years to resolve this. It might take six months. So what are those things to get to your question? They laid them out. If you're over 60 and you don't have to have all the things, you just have to have some of the things. Factors is a better word than things, I guess. But anyway, you know, folks who are 65 or older, people with not with a disability or a chronic injury that impacts their income potential. And that's important because you don't have to be disabled. You can be able to work, but you might have PTSD or some chronic medical condition that just makes it harder for you to advance in your career or to take a second job to pay your student loans. If you failed to get the degree that you were trying to finish, if you can't use your education because your school closed or you couldn't find a job in that field. I had a gentleman with a degree in arts management or something, and he never found a job related to his degree. If you've been in repayment status for more than 10 years, if your income is below a certain level and not likely to increase above that level in the next year or so, making it impossible for you to pay now and really difficult for you to pay in the future. And then there's a sort of an open door of any other circumstances that might make it difficult for you to pay. And so you laid out, you know, several different elements, you know, over 65, medical condition, you failed to get the degree, closed school, lower income. So if, for instance, I'm over 65 and I still have student loans or I have guaranteed student loans that I sign for my kids, right? They, it has right. to be a federal student loan. So this doesn't, it doesn't impact uh, private student loans. This Department of Justice guidance does not impact private loans. You are correct. I did not make that point. And that's a very big point. Private loans still have the same procedure. You'd have to file a lawsuit, but the private lender doesn't have to abide by this. They can make you go through the whole lawsuit process to prove the Brunner test. And it's really difficult. Right. So when you say lawsuit process... <clears throat> so when someone files a bankruptcy, <clears throat> excuse me, to get into this world of discharging student loans, you first have to file a bankruptcy. You can't go through this process without an underlying bankruptcy. Is that correct? That is correct. And then you have the underlying bankruptcy and you talked about a lawsuit. So is that Talk about a little bit of what that lawsuit is, what that really means, and what that process looks like. Sure. So if you haven't been through a bankruptcy, <clears throat> its general procedure might surprise you. It is, I guess, technically a lawsuit. You are asking the court for relief from your debts, but there's you're not suing anyone. It's You file an application or a petition, and you say, hi. I have these assets and these debts and I can't afford to pay them. Please give me relief. If you want to discharge your student loans, you first file the bankruptcy. And then after that point, you can file the lawsuit, which looks more like a traditional lawsuit, you versus Department of Education. It starts with a document called a complaint. It says, I can't pay my student loans and here's why. Then the Department of Education enters an appearance through its lawyers at the Department of Justice. 
And in a normal lawsuit, you go through a process called discovery where you exchange documents. It takes six months and there's a lot of technical things to go along. Then you either enter into settlement talks or you set up a trial. In this case, or in these cases, we're trying to reduce the costs or the Department of Justice is trying to reduce the costs and reduce the workload. So before discovery, we present to the Department of Justice lawyer something called an attestation. And it's a longish document that the student load holder files, about 14, 15 pages, that answers all of the questions set forth in the guidelines. Are you over 65? Do you have a chronic injury that impacts your income potential? And then you explain things. You tell your story. We supply pay stubs and taxes and supporting documentation, and they review it, sit down, sorry about that, sit down with you, maybe by phone and your lawyer, and talk about whether it's appropriate for you to have all of your loans discharged or maybe part. And the really cool thing is the Department of Justice has said that they think that they will be approving 80% of these applications. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I can see that cost saving because in the traditional sense, prior to November of 2022, if you needed to discharge a student loan, you'd have to file a bankruptcy and you'd have to file this lawsuit, the adversary. You have to probably hire an expert, probably need a vocational expert or someone that comes in and says, you don't have the ability now to pay back your student loans. You don't have the ability to pay them in the future. You need to have a lawyer, which can be really expensive. You may have to go to court and have a trial. There's going to be depositions. And so the cost of doing one of these adversaries proceedings prior to November of 2022 was so expensive that it essentially even for people who may have qualified, perhaps, to discharge student loans, right. probably decided that not to pursue the discharge of the student loans because they couldn't afford the process, which is really sad. And so the Department of Justice has stepped in. Thank you, Department of Justice. We know you're busy these days, but it's nice <laughs> that you've actually stepped in and you really want to help people discharge student loans who deserve a discharge, but really can't afford to go through the process. And, you know, doesn't this seem to skirt the legal process? I mean, we have the Brunner test, we have processes in place, and the Department of Justice steps in and changes. Why'd they do that? I and mean, what do you think well, their motivation was? I think this doesn't skirt the, the legal process. This is the legal process. If I were to sue my neighbor over some dispute, we would probably enter into settlement talks. We would probably get a mediator or an arbitrator and try to settle it long before a lawsuit, long before trial. And to save costs and to find a mutually convenient resolution and that's what this is. The history of these, the government has tried to prevent people from discharging their student loans because they could. And now I think the recognition that there's $2 trillion plus of student loan debt out there. 
it is crippling. It is crippling a generation. And a lot of it, like I said, is based on unfairness. You know, lack of guidance, lack of information, lack of education about the costs. Schools that whose costs have risen because the money was there, not because the costs were there. I mean, I could go on for three hours about how ridiculous tuition and housing has become. I won't, though. <laughs> so there's, we have a couple of generations, maybe three, of American students who are overburdened. And it's not all their fault. People, you took the loan, you were an adult, all of that. Okay, there's some of that in there. But <clears throat> there are more factors than just the side of the person who took the loan. The lender bears responsibility as well. Right. And the guy... when they... Go ahead. No, I was just going to repeat myself. I think I was particularly when they <laughs> didn't you know, set you up right, right? You know, the Citibank has an obligation to tell me what it costs when I use my credit card. <laughs> you know, if you, it's right there at the top of the thing, right? If you only pay the minimum, you're going to pay so many dollars over the life of this loan. Right. But the interesting thing, you're 100% right, but the interesting thing that I see is like the, prior to November, if you had to file one of these adversaries to try to get rid of your student loans, you know, the standard to get rid of the student loans was almost a kind of a certainty of hope, hopelessness, which is kind of a term of art in the Brunner world. And so, but what the change has done and what the Department of Justice has said, almost to say, you know what, I don't, we don't like the Brunner test. We don't like the bureaucracy because people under these new guidelines may be able to discharge student loans pursuant to these guidelines. Are they over 65? The degree issue, you know, they don't have to have that certainty of hopelessness. So we have opened the door to people to student loan, to discharge student loans through this process, that even if they had the money or resources to file an adversary under the old process, may have not been able to discharge those student loans. Is that fair to say? That's fair to say, although I would argue that these guidelines, so Brunner is a case from 1987 that interprets how undue hardship in the bankruptcy code is supposed to be determined. And I think these guidelines are the Brunner test that, what, what do they ask? Do you have the current ability to pay your loans? Do you have a future ability to pay your loans? And I haven't touched on this yet. Have you acted in good faith with respect to your student loans? Somebody who never made a payment and went into default or lied on their applications isn't going to get a discharge on their student loans. But if you tried, you were in, you don't have to have actually paid any money, but if you tried, if you were on deferrals, forbearances, you maybe even if you defaulted once, but rehabilitated, the attempts to work it out work in your favor. And that's called good faith, which is a part of the Brunner test. These guidelines, I believe are the Brunner test, but they have given us guidance on what they're looking for, for someone to pass it. And that's amazing because in the past, I used to describe it to bankruptcy clients as, yeah, 
basically to pass the Brunner test, you almost have to be totally and permanently disabled. And if you're totally and permanently disabled, you don't need a bankruptcy. You can apply for a total and permanent disability discharge directly with the Department of Education. Again, that's federal loans only. But <clears throat> so it's not for someone who can never work again and has no earning potential, no assets, no income. It's actually for the middle guys and persons. It's for people who have jobs and but have a family and maybe have some challenges like a little bit of, you know, a chronic illness that they could still work, but it's makes it harder for them to advance in their career. It's for folks who work in a factory, but had a degree in arts management. It's for the long forgotten and underserved middle class. Right. And uh, you know, I said earlier, lower income, and I want to be clear, this isn't poverty level income. This is for folks who are in the middle. Right. And it's confusing to me sometimes because you hear from many who think, you know, whether it's the Biden program to wipe out 10 or 20,000 of student loans in this program that people are kind of confused about. Can you kind of talk a little bit about the how these are different and clarify that for people? Absolutely. And that's a really good point to bring up because if you go to your servicer right now, there's probably a banner across the top of the website that says student loan forgiveness is on hold while we're doing litigation. And I had a client that I couldn't, I was trying to work with her to get her to file an adversary for her, like we've been discussing. And she wasn't responding and she was just ghosting me and I couldn't figure it out. Finally, I got her on the phone and I was like, what is the problem? She says, well, I logged into my servicer and it said that the loan forgiveness program is on hold. So I figured you couldn't do anything for me. I was like, no, 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 no. That's a whole different thing. Like we said at the top of the call, there are a lot of things going on in student loans right now. And they are for lots of different people in lots of different situations. But the what President Biden and his administration were trying to do was across the board, reduce balances, $10,000, no matter what your balance was uh, for everybody with federal student loans and 20 grand if you had taken out Pell Grants. So these would be poorer students who get Pell Grants and uh, it was reduce the balances. That program is on a hold while we wait for the Supreme Court to decide if he had the power to do that. Their decisions come out on Thursday mornings. I didn't see it this morning, so we have to wait another couple of weeks for the answer on that. But that student loan forgiveness is different from income-driven payment forgiveness. It's different from public student loan forgiveness. And it is very different from discharge in conjunction with a bankruptcy. And there's more forgivenesses, too. Like I mentioned, the total and permanent disability teacher forgiveness programs, et cetera, et cetera. Right. And this post November 22 world, if someone files bankruptcy, they don't have to file the adversary. They don't have to file the lawsuit. Is that correct? Or they do have to file the lawsuit? No, they absolutely do have to file the lawsuit. 
Okay, so you have to file a lawsuit to get the attention of the Department of Justice. So mm -hmm. if you have to file the lawsuit, what makes it cheaper for someone who's filing bankruptcy to get student loan relief? Well, normally when you file a lawsuit, you have to pay a filing fee of some several hundred dollars. There is no filing fee for the courthouse for folks who file lawsuits to discharge their student loans. Second, normally a charge for discharge of student loans, or perhaps if we were going to talk about discharging private student loans, the more difficult cases, you know, the lawyer would need $10,000. This is a fraction of that because the work is a fraction. When the complaint is drafted and filed, service goes to the Department of Education and the Attorney General, and then we enter into that. Mediation is not the correct word, but it's kind of like mediation. We enter into these talks and we give them our evidence and we give them our argument that this person is qualified, and then they make a decision before all of the long drawn out expensive parts of lawsuits are even going to happen before discovery, before trial, before motion, 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 motion hearing and two years of delays and hopefully six, seven months, you'll have an answer. Right. And what's the, you know, in these cases that you're involved with, what's the attitude of the Department of Justice? when you submit these documents, do they get it? Or are they aware of what's um, going on? They are so far very collegial. I've only had preliminary hearings before judges, but they seem, you know, well, you know, they can't get too excited about anything. They're judges, but right. they, you know, seem <laughs> receptive to the concept that this is a thing that's happening and, you know, not good so far. So good. I don't have any outcomes yet because it's so new. I belong to a group of student loan lawyers across the country and the results are trickling in because like I said, this came out November 22nd, six months would have been May 22nd or so. And probably the first ones weren't filed till December. So we're still waiting for answers, but the department of justice has said they're hoping it's their thing. They proposed it. They're hoping to get people through this process. I'm very encouraged. Right. To make a huge difference in the lives of a lot of people. <laughs> right. And have you seen, has there been success in these cases anywhere in the country? Like, have we seen any of these adversaries, attestations filed and then actually success? That the DOJ has said, we're not, but we're going to agree to discharge the student loans. I haven't seen one yet. I haven't seen one okay. yet, but I don't expect to start seeing them until th the end of this month, next month. The first one I filed is post providing attestation and more supporting documents to the lawyer at the Department of Justice. And her paralegal just emailed me yesterday and said, we're looking at it. So that's where we are on the very first one. Right. So. And is there a timeline? So you, you file a bankruptcy, you know, date you file it. Then after you file it, the process takes about 90 days. No. And I, then. Oh, the bankruptcy. Yes, yes. The bankruptcy process takes about 90 days. Then you file the adversary proceeding and there's no, the adversary proceeding doesn't have to be done within the 90 days of the bankruptcy. But is there any timeline that someone can expect from filing the adversary to getting some sort of resolution to this? <clears throat> 
Yes. I expect it to be less than seven months. Seven months. That's so long. It is. I mean, the wheels of justice are very slow. Do but seven months for a whole lawsuit to get rid of $100,000? I don't know. That's not that bad. You know, because remember, there are still procedures that have to be followed. When a lawsuit is filed, the government has 45 days. Is that the right number? Don't quote me on that. 45 days to answer. So right there, we've lost a month and a half. Okay, from day one to day 45, the government files a document that's called an answer. And immediately I would turn around, hopefully, and hand them the attestation and the documents. But, you know, those government lawyers have stuff to do. So they put it in the pile and they get back to you. <laughs> right. And, and it, like in case of my very first one, she said, you know, I'd like some more clarification on this medical issue. And I'd like some more clarification on this. And oh, how about the 22 taxes? Okay. So then I turned around and gathered those documents. So there, the next hearing is scheduled at the beginning of August. So and in that case, that would be a that's the six month mark. And like I said, we're very close to having our chat and we're still in month four or five. So got, got it. And if somebody is interested in doing this and you assess their case and you say, let's move forward with it. We know in the bankruptcy process that the document collection is, can be a real headache for people. It can be really challenging. So Someone files bankruptcy, we get their tax returns, we get their pay stubs, we get their deeds and mortgages and all those documents that we need to file bankruptcy. When you're going through this attestation process, what other documents can someone or would someone need to get to you in order to get this process moving forward? Well, if we just filed the bankruptcy, I've got good income documents in my file already. If it's a, say, a chapter 13 where we filed it two years ago, I need new income documents, new taxes. And then it depends which of the boxes we checked of the categories. You know, if you say, you know, I have a disability or chronic injury that impacts my earning potential, guess what? I need some medical records. If it's about a closed school, maybe we don't need anything because that's public knowledge. But if it's about, I can't find a job with this degree, Probably we want job search history. I had somebody tell me recently that he sent out 730 resumes. Well, he kept records. I want those records. Right. It depends on the person and the situation. Right. So here locally, you know, we're dealing with the closing of Cardinal Stretch. So yeah. if someone didn't get their degree at Cardinal Stretch, is that in itself a reason to try to discharge student loans? It depends. Uh, well, yes, maybe. It depends on the person. The First of all, there is in general a closed school discharge option outside of bankruptcy, but it has some narrow rules that I don't have memorized, so I'm not going to attempt to say them to you. But basically, it has to have closed within so many days of you attending and so on and so forth. But if it turns out that a strich degree is a hindrance to that person as opposed to a help to that person, then they definitely should investigate whether they are obligated to pay their student loans and whether right. they can discharge them in bankruptcy. 
And then kind of my final question is, you know, this guidance from the Department of Justice has came out in 2022 during the Biden administration. We're facing an election in 2024. We don't know what's going to happen. Are you feeling like there's some sort of urgency to take care, to take advantage of this guidance now in light of the election? I do. I feel that, yeah, I feel, so the last time, without any judgment (laughs) or rancor, when President Trump came to office, he spent a good deal of, I do think there is some urgency here. This is a program of the Department of Justice under the current administration. And if for some reason the current administration doesn't win in 2024, it is entirely possible that a new administration would say, stop doing that. And they would be well within their rights to do that. That's how it works. So for me, my goal is to get everybody who has hired me to get these done filed as early as possible before next summer so that they're in the hopper and decided on before we hear about the election in November. So I think there is some urgency because this is a decision of an administrative agency and they can change their minds at any time with or without a change in them. president. They're not going to change their mind before the election I do not believe, but I do think it's not something that you want to sit on if you qualify now or want to talk about it now. Right. And if somebody, you know, we don't, the information speaks for itself. This isn't a sales pitch. We're not looking for that. But if someone wants to ask questions and get more information about whether student loans their student loans could be discharged through this new process, I would invite them to go to our website at millermillerlaw.com. There's a big red banner across the top of the website that will guide people to a form that they can fill out that will then come to you and your team and you'll evaluate it and get back to them for more information. Is that how it would work? That's correct. My colleague, team Tim, will call them and set a quick appointment, probably within a couple of days, if not sooner, and we'll have a quick chat. And if I know that there's a program that will help you that doesn't involve bankruptcy, I'll send you down that path. And if bankruptcy is appropriate for you, then I'll give you that information as well. It's really exciting. What do you think, how do you What would you say to the potential person that says, hey, I can do this on my own? What are your, without the use, without a lawyer doing it in your experience so far? So, yeah, there are, (laughs) lawsuits are complicated and there are a lot of rules. And filing a bankruptcy pro se is, without a lawyer, is rarely a good idea. Filing a lawsuit adversary within the bankruptcy, it would be difficult to navigate without having done it before. So you can say it. What's What's the quote? Yeah. Abraham Lincoln 
a man who represents himself has a fool for a lawyer, which is the right. quote. I wouldn't call anybody a fool because, you know, you have every right to do that. It is probably worth the money to get someone to help you who's been down the road before. But, you know. Teach his own. Right. <laughs> yeah. Because, you know, filing an underlying chapter seven, no assets, you know, someone can muddle their way through the process. But if you're going to take the time to file one of these adversary proceedings and try to discharge your student loans, you likely have more than 10 or 20,000 of student loans. It's certainly worth the, you know, the investment. And again, check out our website, millermillerlaw.com. I would appreciate anybody listening or watching to subscribe to the Miller Law Chronicles. You can do that on YouTube, on Spotify, on Google Podcasts, on Apple Podcasts. I really appreciate you listening today. And Deborah, I really appreciate your time and investment in learning so much about student loans so that you can help all of our clients. And thank you for all your help today. It's been my absolute pleasure. I can't wait. <laughs> <laughs>